New Hampshire State Police segment. We're brought to you by Auto Fair, the men and women of the State Police. And we're joined by uh, uh, Brett Romig of Troop D, State Trooper, and uh, relatively, I understand, a little bit newer to the job and fascinated about his background, his current assignment, and why he chose this profession. Brett, thanks for joining us on Good Morning New Hampshire, the Pulse of an H. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about you and your background and what brought you to the uh, to the State Police and Public Safety. Of course. Uh, I have a couple years uh, serving as an armor officer um, prior to um, this this current career uh, in the United States Army. Uh, and when it came time for me to uh, think about what I wanted to do next as a career, um, the New Hampshire State Police was a perfect fit. I wanted to con- I knew I wanted to continue a career um, of service. And New Hampshire State Police provided me with that opportunity. You know, they're a values-based organization, and I wanted something that was team-oriented. So it was the, it was the perfect fit. Where does um, Brett that that sense of um, service come from? Is it in your family or just uh, innate in you? And um, it's commendable. I just talked about that young high school student, Wyatt at Prospect Mountain um, High School in Alton, uh, who wants to help his community, wants to serve. I actually talked to him after the segment about looking at the military or public service? What, where does that sense of service come from? I, I, that's a great question. I think it, it can be uh, innate and also somewhat uh, gained through our own experiences. You know, um, I care about my community very much, whether that be local or state or, or federal, and I, I, I believe many other people have that same uh, feeling of that they care about uh, who they work with, who they live near, who they live with, and things like that. So I think it's something that a lot of people have, um, and they ju- they're just looking for the right way um, to, um, you know, ha- participate in some sort of service-based opportunity. And uh, where, where, where are you from uh, geographically? Uh, originally from Virginia, uh, and the Army kind of took me all over the South. Uh, family brought me back up to uh, New Hampshire, and so it, it kind of goes on my previous comment. We, a lot of people in the in the state police here, you know, we have family here. We have friends here, things that we care about, and we want to continue to serve uh, those communities that we have ties to. And what? What? how long have you been on now, uh, Brett, the state police? Uh, I've been a trooper since January of 21, so uh, just over three years now. I guess one of my questions is, you served in the Army, and thank you for that. Um, what? what uh, and you go through, I know the state police and really all local law enforcement here have the same standardized training at the police academy in Concord. You go through a training period, you go through an interviewing process, you go through an apprenticeship, or, you know, you might be under a trooper in terms of getting acclimated. Uh, you're out of Troop D. We'll come back to that. But what were the what were the adjustments? What, what either the process of becoming a trooper, what, what surprised you? What did not surprise you? Was it about what you expected? Uh, thankfully, I did come in with, you know, the military experience, um, but I, I had no law enforcement background. None of my family were, were in law enforcement, so I, I was really entering a field that I had no knowledge of. And I, I believe when um, I started the, the recruitment process with New Hampshire State Police that they, they did a, a good job at understanding where everyone's coming from, their strengths, weaknesses, their, their background. Um, but, you know, for those wanting to enter the law enforcement field, you, you do need um, some certain characteristics and qualities uh, that would be beneficial uh, on the job. Certainly integrity being the, the number one, um, but there is a strong sense of discipline uh, in this line of work um, that I think, you know, if somebody's looking to make a career out of it, you know, that's one place to start is uh, focusing on, on one's discipline. And what about Troop D, Brett, uh, Trooper? Uh, what about Troop D? What's the mission, the main mission there, and where is it? Tell us sort of, I, I know where it is, but tell everyone about your troop. Uh, of course. Um, troop D, uh, our troop uh, station is in Concord, uh, one being the capital. So it's a very populated area. We cover all of, uh, of Merrimack County, and, our, you know, we, we assist other agencies like Concord Police Department, uh, Merrimack County Sheriff's Office. Um, so we have a lot of area to cover, a lot of population um, 93 uh, runs right through uh, our patrol area uh, and is one of the main pipelines uh, to many of our uh, great things in our state up north. We have 89 that goes through right through our patrol area. Uh, and then we are um, adjacent to Troop B, uh, one of the busiest troops in the state just geographically, um, you know, with Manchester and things like that. So we're, we're busy. We, got, we do a lot of motor vehicle, um, you know, but we, we're out there. Um, doing the best that we can um, in terms of keeping this this state safe. 
And and what's your any advice or thoughts or something? You did have the army background, but let's assume someone did not. Um, let's assume that someone's a. I'm just saying, a, you know, they might be. A, they might work and they might be a, a home builder. They might be a, uh, work for utility. They might work for a financial institution. I don't care. But they're thinking about something with service. They're intrigued. They wonder if they have what it takes. They're not sure. What would your, being relatively new to the job, what would your advice be to someone who might be remotely interested in looking into the career of law enforcement or state police? Yeah, it, it really starts with that inherent drive of selfless service, helping others that you don't know anything about them. Um, so it starts there. It just starts with the interest. And from there, um, don't count yourself out. Reach out to uh, a recruiter from the respective law enforcement agency or, or New Hampshire State Police um, but don't count yourself out. Um, a, a lot of our, our troopers don't have that law enforcement background or, or military background, um, but they've led you know, successful careers. They've had great careers. Um, so if you're interested in, in public safety, public service, serving your community, uh, keeping those that you love uh, and those that you don't even know safe, uh, it just starts with your interest, your, your drive, your discipline, uh, and most importantly, your your. Uh, wish to, to serve your community, uh, I think that's, that's where it begins. Trooper Brett Romig, uh, Troop D, before we let you go, is, is your main mission uh, out there on the road, or is it in a little bit? What's your mission, your job, daily job? What does it entail? Uh, I'm, a tradi- I'm a traditional road trooper, uh, so you'll see me out on the interstate covering crashes, making motor vehicle stops and things like that. So uh, right here in the trenches, but um, you know, you know, loving every every second of it. Must have been... Uh, because I didn't expect it. Was it Tuesday, J Doc? The icy, the black ice. You must have been busy on Tuesday, huh? If you were on, we I, I was on. Uh, uh, we we were very busy, but thankfully, um, we we worked as a team with with DOT and other law enforcement agencies and opened those the highways up and and, and helped cover crashes, help keep this state safe. All right. Thank you very much, Trooper, for what you do in your service. I appreciate enlightening uh, others on what you do and your passion for service. It's uh it's contagious. It should be. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Our next guest and regular contributor, Michael Graham, and in all seriousness, has built up New Hampshire Journal, NHJournal.com, into a, a real uh, media presence, and he works very hard at it. But he, I, my sense is he likes what he does because he's got great energy at it. Good morning, Michael. Well, if you drink a lot, Jack, it all seems fun. So that's my recommendation. You can't help you know, yourself. My life you can't, you can't is, help it's yourself. It's 5 a.m. somewhere. You can't so help yourself. You can't even take a simple compliment <laughs> without a flippant answer. That's true. Yeah, that, that is absolutely true. So, Jack, let me ask you. The Republicans get together and they say, hey, look, if you're going to do school sports, you can have co-ed teams. And that's totally cool. But if you're going to have male teams or female teams, they have to be male and female. And you cannot have biological males on female teams or in female locker rooms. And believe it or not, that is controversial. <laughs> in Concord because there are a bunch of Democrats who oppose this, which is kind well, of surprising. You know why? The narrative, the narrative is, you know, different than common sense or logic. So what essentially you know is this is all partisan. This is it's one reason why the parents' rights bill failed, is that Democrats have staked out the territory that parents' rights are a Republican issue, and therefore, because it's Republican, we are going to oppose it. And so that's where they are now on this issue of uh, protecting women's sports from male athletes. So I thought of a male athlete that I know, Senator Lou D'Alessandro. I've read his book, The Lion yep, yep. you know, he was a, a uh, He's in, uh, in the Hall of Fame at UNH. As oh, a he's a great guy, player, great teacher, player, great good, good coach. But my yep. point is he was, a, he was an athlete. Yeah. So NH General asked him, do you think when you were you know, competing that women should have been you know, forced to compete against you? And he promptly said back, to, uh, despite the fact that his caucus opposes this bill, they support – forcing women to compete against men. Quote, as a former player, coach, and teacher, I believe men should be competing against men and women against women. Physical differences are very important for the safety of those participating in the sport. And how astonishing is it, Jack, that that sentence is controversial and could cost Senator D'Alessandro votes? Well, he's always been someone who's not apprehensive to kind of speak some common sense. I, you know, he'll right. say good things about Senate President Bradley, who's a Republican, good things about Governor Sununu. He's a classy guy. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, people who testified uh, against this bill is uh, Amy Manzelli of Pembroke, whose uh, son uh, is now living as a girl. And she claims that her son at the age of three 
knew that he was a girl trapped in a boy's body at the age of three and that you know children should be making those decisions at the age of three, Senator Avar said that sounded like child abuse to him. But when the uh, uh, Iris Termel, who identifies as a girl now in the eighth grade, said, quote, I am a woman, I am female. Uh, look, I'm not trying to be mean-spirited or anything, but you're not. Your biology, your biology is biology. Now, you can live however you want. No one cares. You can go down to the diaper you know, spa in Atkinson if you want as a well, 50-year-old guy and if, wear but a diaper. If you, but if you feel what you are, I mean, you know, I look at, um, you know, you look at, if you feel you are, I mean, I look at, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize the emotional torment that someone would have if they feel there's something that they're biologically not. But when it comes to commonsensical things like sports, um, on a football field or, you know, whatever, um, there is a difference between a biological but, male but, and a but female. it starts, Jack, it starts with biology. It starts with saying, yeah. no, you're not biological. You, you are not a, a girl. You're not. You're a guy. That's what you are. Now, you can live however you want. No one cares. No one's judging you. Yeah. Wear whatever you want. Well, okay. Love who you want. But we're not going to pretend that, you know, physics isn't physics, that, you know, uh, you know biology isn't biology. And that there's no such thing as a male question. or female, and that's a social construct, I, and that's the argument that's being made. I agree with Senator Lou, and I think people get a little bit over the top in this stuff. Mm-hmm. But but if you had a child mm-hmm. that was going through this, you know, twelve year old said, you know, I'm I'm this, but I feel I'm that. Right. Would it, would you be saying the same stuff? Absolutely, I'd be saying, let's go get you some help because yeah. this is nothing. Gender dysphoria is not a new. You know, condition. You know, going back to the Roman Empire. I'm forgetting which uh, which no, Caesar it was. I know. Right? So, so there are people who have emotional issues and you know mental issues and developmental issues, or just get confused or go through phases. This is this is nothing new. What's new is we are going to pretend that the facts aren't the facts. Yeah. So no, I agree. And that's where just that's where you right, what speaking else you... pretending. The ACLU says. There is no problem at the northern border. Yeah, that's and I, that I New saw Hampshire that. should yeah. stop doing anything because our 58 miles of the Swanton sector aren't where the people are crossing. Yes, there's a huge surge. Jack, listen to this. In 2021, two years ago, there were about 340 crossings in the Swanton sector. Last year, there were 7,000. It's a 1,900% increase in two years. And the ACLU says you're just a bunch of racists and you should stop your dangerous yeah, well, they, uh, policy they, of enforcing the border. Yeah, the ACLU would, would take on Governor Abbott of Texas if he tries to fortify his border because they, they would like to have no borders. Well, your friend, uh, Senator Jeb Bradley, on another station, as they say, said this morning that they should be dis- the New Hampshire ACLU should be dismissed as a crank organization. They are simply open border advocates. So a uh, tough talk from Senator Bradley. who will be having a press conference later today. All right. Good stuff, Michael. You're fired up. I can tell you got some sleep. Always fired up. You got rid of that head cold and uh, listening. <laughs> and I love the fact that you're uh, you're listening to Luke Bryan. That's great. The mean spirited guy, Jack. That's Listen, always good. The closest good... I'll get to country music is Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska album, which is absolutely. Fantastic. I remember that. So I remember that. That's as close as I get. I'm sorry. There's I... another guy that should have run for political office and just but kept quiet. All right. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. He's a former congressman. Um, he actually served, I believe, in Wisconsin. I have a brother-in-law that lives in River Falls. So Wisconsin, um, Congressman uh, Scott Klug, I believe. and uh, But he's got a pretty cool podcast that I think a lot of people would relate to. It's called Lost in the Middle, America's Political Orphans. And he talks about that perspective that a lot of people feel. I said earlier, Congressman, thanks for being with us, by the way, for joining us. Good morning, Hampshire, the Pulse of an H. Yeah, good morning. Nice to talk to you. How weird is it? It's 45 in Wisconsin like it is in New Hampshire. We're six weeks early. I know, I know. My brother-in-law said that the other day. It's usually like, he, he, um, no offense, your Midwestern cold is really cold. Hey, uh, but it's mild. <laughs> it's mild. Get the get the uh, garden going, Congressman. Hey, um, there you go. your, your podcast, Lost in the Middle, it's interesting. I said this, I've been saying this since our primary here a week, a week ago, Tuesday. Um, 80% of probably commonsensical people polled they want anything but Biden and Trump again. I think the national media exactly wants Biden and Trump again. They're just propping it up, Biden and Trump. So you have all these people that are like, no, I, I want something else. And yet we don't get something else. So tell us about your podcast. Well, this all started when sort of the first Kevin McCarthy fiasco was um, about a year ago now. And uh, I got stopped by people on, you know, at the grocery store, uh, in the cereal aisle, at a movie theater, uh, well, you know, in a coffee shop one morning, where people basically said, what, 
in the hell is going on? I meant, you know, the Republicans are running around the country trying to ban middle school books, and the Democrats are trying to take the stove out of my kitchen. Who signed up for these people? And I think if you look at the national polling, um, about 45% of people in the U.S. describe themselves as centrist or common-sense voters. And somehow the extremes has become the normal in Washington. And I, I think people are, are unbelievably frustrated. You know, and the, and the latest one, you know, in 2002, Two, George Bush tried to get an immigration reform bill done, and Chuck Schumer, the Democrat leader in the Senate, spiked it. And now we're trying to get an immigration bill done, and now the House Republicans are the one who are doing it. And I guess I'm sort of an old-fashioned guy that I think you go to Washington and you actually try to solve problems. And if you can get 65% of what you want, isn't that sort of by definition a victory? So I think the American people just sort of are throwing up their hands in despair. You know, Congressman, uh, and we tell you about how I'm sure Spreaker, Apple, how we can get your podcast if it's weekly or how often you do it. But I had a class from Milan University, North Carolina, kind of um, job, uh, sort of watched and hung out with us the week of the primer here on my show. And we were remote at St. Anselm College a day of the morning and the results coming in. There were a young, great group of political science and journalist majors and about 12 or 15, what a great, they went to South Carolina, they, or Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, really great class. And when I talk to them, maybe it's like your supermarket example or the movie theater example, when people, I'd say, you know, 20, 21 year, they, they know, they know what's going on, they're engaged. And I say, what, what do you think about Washington it, during our breaks and just the time when I was talking with them? And they said, well, no one listens to us. We don't want that. But it all seems bought and paid for no matter what we, and we vote now at 21, you know, they, they, no one listens to us. It doesn't work for us. We don't want that, but no one listens to us. That feeling of powerlessness to change Washington. Well, and if you look, you know, the, the other thing that's going on in the country, I don't think people are paying attention to, nearly 50% of Americans now self-describe as independents. And people under the age of 30 will not register for a party. So, you, you know, for years you guys have had non-affiliated in New Hampshire. If you look in Nevada, for example, independents now uh, just about uh, have more independent registrations than Republicans and Democrats combined. So I think there's a, there's a sense of just frustration, and, and I think it goes beyond just the Biden-Trump fatigue, which I think everybody's feeling. I don't know anybody except hardcore folks on one side of the aisle who are excited about this. And in, in a country of 300 million people, really, this is the best we can do. And so what we're trying to do in this podcast, and it's actually storytelling, it's not a talk show. So there are 14 episodes between last September and next September, because we're going to sort of bow out as the election's on top of it. And and in fact, the most recent episode we just put up is about realignment. And you'll appreciate this fact that George H. Bush could no longer get elected in Maine. And Bill Clinton would probably get beat, what? 70% to 30% in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And so the the country continuously realigns itself from sort of geography. And, you know, you belong to one political party I joined. Now you get PO'd. You go to another political party. So I think people get frustrated because they just sort of see it's, you know, like a static map across the United States. But the fact is this independent movement, I think, is growing. And I think people are just hungry for leadership. You know, again, I, I... you know, I'm a libertarian Republican. I'm not a fan of big government, but, you know, the trains have got to move on time and the government's got to get funded. I mean, some of this is just basic 101. And I bet if you and I walk four blocks from your radio station and pull three people out of a diner, they can figure out in a napkin what an immigration deal should look like. So, you know, we've been at this for 20 years. It shouldn't take that long. Well, why does nothing change in Washington? The national parties. DNC told New Hampshire voters, don't even vote in your primary. We're, we're taking it away or trying to. We're going to pick, um, you know, the RNC right after right after uh, Nikki Haley came in second to Trump here. And, yes, Trump won, not 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 as big as he thought, but 11 or 12 points. Uh, the RNC is saying, oh, Nikki Haley's never going to be the nominee. And Governor Sununu comes on my show the next morning, calls her an idiot, you know, a scared puppy dog of Trump. So Washington doesn't want to change money and power run it. I'm not saying when you were there, but, you know, Nancy Pelosi's done pretty well from public service. I think that was a $25 million home she bought in Palm Beach. Um, you know, I'm just saying, people see a bunch of older people. Um, it was a good line Nikki Haley had in one of her ads. It's the most expensive nursing home in America. So you get a bunch of people in their 70s and 80s. They, 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 they're incumbents. 
They raise. They say, let's get let's get rid of dark money. And every time a senator runs, there's fifty million dollars pours into a race. Think of what that would do for homelessness. We need to remove dark money. They take the money. Um, you know, nothing changes, and people don't like it. And why don't we have more of an independent lane? And is this model uh, doomed to fail in terms of the two major parties running everything? I don't. You know, I don't think it's immediate. You know, the sort of big kerfuffle over a third party run this time out, I think, is largely going to fizzle. I mean, Kennedy's having a hard time getting on ballots, so he's now talking about running as a libertarian. The libertarians are pretty protective protective of the libertarian lane, and I'm not sure they're going to embrace him. And no labels, which had this um, sort of selling point, they were going to run a bipartisan uh, ticket. Uh, and Larry Hogan, popular Republican governor in Maryland, yeah, yeah. Uh, just like you know Phil Scott up in Vermont, sort of against the grain, just announced he's leaving the board because he thinks they're not going to do anything. So I think we're going to be stuck sort of where we are. I'm not even sure there'll be a significant third-party protest vote. But again, I think you have to look at trends. And I think if you look at trends, there's something afoot with um, this independent move. I just talked to Mike Murphy, who was John McCain's campaign yep, yep. manager back in eight. I remember and Murphy and Murphy thinks in four years or eight years from now, something's going to happen. I mean, there's a collapse of sort of faith in institutions in the country. And yeah. right now, I put at the top of the list the Republicans and the Democrats. Yeah, I feel that. Hey, how can people get your podcast? Uh, so, uh, on all all the places you get a podcast, and it's just lostmiddle.com. Uh, like I said, they're storytelling. It's not a talk show. And uh, realignment in New Hampshire, and actually the gang at St. Anselm plays a big role in this episode. And real quickly, what are you up to these days uh, in addition to that? What else are you doing? Well, so I have the whole axis of evil covered, right? So I spent uh, 12 years as a journalist. I spent uh, eight years in Congress, and now I've worked as a Washington lobbyist on and off. But I work for a law firm and actually split my time between Wisconsin and Washington, and and I'm calling you today looking over frozen Lake Mendota. All right. Hey, thank you, Congressman. Thank you, and good luck with the podcast. Hey, appreciate the help. Take care. Good morning, New Hampshire, powered by Sig Sauer. Now back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. Hey, does it feel like February 1st? Yeah, I guess it does. I guess it does. Aaron Real, NBC News Radio National Correspondent, uh, talking about something that I caught. Was it just yesterday, the day before, with all the stuff happening and the testimony on Capitol Hill and all the high-tech CEOs there? The FBI director really gave a pretty stern, stark warning about you know Chinese hackers and a real concern. And I, I haven't seen an FBI director been that overt about this in a while, so take it away, Aaron. Yes, this is concerning. Uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray He said that the Chinese government are targeting critical infrastructure in the U.S. They're preparing to cause real-world harm. They're going after water treatment plants, electrical grids, oil and natural gas pipelines, transportation hubs. And he did not mince words. Ray said there has been far too little public focus and that this cyber threat affects every American. It's very concerning. And if your existential dread meter wasn't on high, it should be now. Yeah. And uh, no real reason not to think it's going to get worse because, you know, I I didn't want to throw on top of this, by the way, the bad guys and how they can, you know, misuse AI, artificial intelligence on some stuff for news coverage. You know, I mean, I started thinking, Aaron, I don't know if you played with this stuff and tried to, like, replicate, you know, a presentation with your own voice and, um, you know, a false news report with a major city some morning during during rush hour. And it makes the news, and it's not even true. And all of a sudden, there's car at You know, it's like that movie with Bruce right. Willis way back where a grid, a utility, and all of a sudden, like, the, you know, the traffic signals are not right in Washington, and the cars are crashing into each other, and no one knows what's happening. You know, mayhem, if you will. Mayhem. And what's so interesting is, like, you ask yourself as the individual, like, what can I do? How can I assist our efforts? Because they actually spoke about these Chinese hacking operations. One was called Volt Typhoon. Officials said that we were spied on because the hackers, they infected hundreds of small office and home routers with malware. And these particular routers were at their end of life, like that end of life status. So they no longer could be supported by any sort of security patches or software updates from manufacturers. And you're like, okay, so I keep a new router. I do what I can. But here's the thing. Your router isn't going to save you if they turn off the water. And and that's a very concerning thing. And if you have any desire to participate in modern life today, you, you know, you can either move off the grid, drink well water, hunt your own food, and use a generator. But outside of that, 
it's very difficult to do anything. So I think Ray kind of raising the, the, the flag here is him saying, get on your legislatures. We need more manpower. He said they don't have enough manpower. They need, we need focus and time and energy. And then if there's any silver lining here, and it's a thin one, it's the fact that the Chinese economy is not doing particularly well right now. And as a result, they would like to ease trade tensions with us, not increase them. Right. All that said, they absolutely want the ability to flip the switch if something goes south. And they are absolutely interested in stealing, um, you know, wholesale stealing of trade secrets and personal and corporate data. But it's better to have things working nicely than not. They are aware of that, too. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. When trade crosses borders, bullets do not it is very important to have trade agreements and open trade with other countries because, frankly, they, they're stand-ins for peace treaties. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, no one really talks about what's going on with, the, with China's economy, um, you know, some serious real estate adjustments and some other things. So they are desperate to get an edge. And they're very patient, by the way. It's another thing we're mm-hmm. not. They're very patient to do whatever they can long-term. So interesting. Thank you, Aaron Rial, News Radio National Correspondent. Thanks, Jack. My friends at Bank of America, they have great they have great expertise. They're not only the biggest bank out there, but they really have a good team in the community. But, you know, we had uh, Liz Everett earlier. Uh, well, Liz, from the data side of things, on a few times, where they really have incredible consumer data where we can learn the public, not just their experts like our next guest, uh, Stephen Juneau, who's really one of the top economists. So he, he can look at that data. But other people, and now it's available to the public. So that's just the data piece of this. But Stephen's been on with us before. And, Stephen, uh, welcome back. Good morning, Hampshire, the Pulse of an H. How are you this morning? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, when I'm, like, with my buddies on the weekend and I pay attention to public policy and the economy and local and national stuff and the, all the stuff you look at, the last year, year and a half, the two things that perplex me, where, the, where, where our economy is really going, you know, as we went into last year, most experts, although you were not, you were, you were kind of weren't, you were hedging, you weren't sore, but a lot of people are saying like, you know, individuals out there, oh, we're going to, ha- we're going to hit a pretty good recession. Um, you know, inflation was real bad. And somehow, despite it all, the economy defies gravity sometimes and expectations. It seems to be doing a little bit better. So the economy contains, to, as I said, it, the economy continues to defy expectations. GDP finished on a stronger note. Where do you, Stephen, see things headed pr- pretty much from here? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question and kind of what we deal with on a day-to-day. Uh, so last year was beyond anyone's expectations. The economy was just really ripped. Uh, we saw very strong growth and really to end the year, uh, which was which was very impressive. So this year we don't expect kind of the same thing. You know, we're looking for a bit of a downshift. We think some of the forces that really propelled growth last year – that being kind of the return of labor supply, um, the increase in real wages, and some fiscal-related policies that were a boost to investment last year. We think those kind of tailwinds, they're going to be a little bit more moderate this year. So that's going to contribute to a slowdown in growth uh, this year. Nothing to worry about, I should say that. You know, we're still going to have positive growth, a pretty good year, looking for around 2% growth year over year. Uh, but a slowdown from the pace of last year. We don't think that's sustainable, and we think some of the things that drove it are just going to be less of a less of a tailwind heading into this year. Stephen, consumer confidence and attitudes go a long way. Ironically, last year, where people were bracing for something that was worse, and, and the economy defied the, the, you know the pessimism. If things do tighten a little bit this year or slow down, are people's consumers' attitudes actually? getting a little bit better, and could that help mitigate anything that's not as strong? I mean, that's a great question, too. So it's been something that's been a bit remarkable about the kind of pandemic-era recovery, uh, where you've seen consumer sentiment just really be depressed despite kind of the unemployment rate continuing to fall, despite inflation coming down so much last year. And it's something that you're starting to finally see kind of line up better with the actual data. So I think consumers are starting to realize that, hey, the economy is not so bad. You know, uh, this is something that we are actually seeing real wage growth. Yes, we saw a lot of inflation over the last three years. That's still weighing on us. We know that. We can remember the days when uh, feeding a family of four costs something like 20% less than mm-hmm. it does today. But nevertheless, you know, the environment's improving. You know, we have a healthy labor market, and you're finally starting to see consumers kind of recognize that we've seen inflation come down a lot, the unemployment rate's at a very low level, 
And, you know, the economy is really doing quite well. So that can help for sure because as that confidence comes back, it can really continue to support consumer spending this year um, and help drive overall growth because we know that the consumer ultimately is, what, two-thirds of the U.S. economy. So as, as the consumer goes, so does the U.S. economy. Even if people in Washington like to forget that, the consumer still drives it. Stephen, uh, the Federal Reserve, as you know, Stephen Janot, one of the leading economists, Bank of America, delighted, delighted he's on with us again for this perspective and expertise. Good morning, New Hampshire, the Pulse of a Nation. The Federal Reserve, as you know, Stephen, had their meeting yesterday. Um, no surprise because it was sort of built into the news coverage. They weren't going to change anything. But what did we learn? And are we going to finally get a break on these higher interest rates soon? So what we learned, at least, it was a bit of a surprise to us. So we were looking for a March cut. So we thought the Fed was gearing up to go at their next meeting. But then what we heard from Powell yesterday was that March, the bar might be a little bit too high to go that early. So really, we, we're still expecting the Fed to cut. I mean, the cutting cycle is happening this year. The Fed is done hiking. But when it starts, that's probably likely going to be in June now. The pace is still going to be gradual. Um, but you are going to get a little bit of a break, you know, businesses, households. Um, you're going to start to see mortgage rates come, come down. You're going to see credit card rates come down. The Fed has definitely done hiking, um, and now it's just about when and how quickly they cut. And we think it's going to start in June. We think it will be gradual, so 25 basis points per quarter, a cut per quarter basically. Um, so not too fast, but that's just because we don't have a forecast for recession in our outlook. And the Fed's still a little bit worried that inflation might get stuck above their 2% target. So they're trying to take a real risk management approach here. Well, maybe your last point helped answer what I was going to ask, Stephen. What's driving the Fed's decision-making and their thought process right now? Yeah, so I think it's really, when you think about the Fed, what they are inherently is a risk manager of the economy. They have two mandates. They're trying to achieve price stability. They consider that basically 2% inflation. We're getting close to that. So not mission accomplished yet, but if we get a few more good data prints, we're very close to where the Fed can say uh, the job is done. The other objective is to, you know, achieve maximum employment, achieve kind of healthy growth. Obviously, the Fed doesn't want to force the economy into recession. So now what you're seeing as inflation has come down, they're thinking a little bit more about that other objective. They're a little bit worried that, hey, rates might be a little bit too high uh, given the progress we've seen on inflation. So we need to think about reassessing our policy, uh, reassessing the level of rates we have currently, and maybe taking that down a notch, uh, given that we don't really want to force the economy to slow down if it doesn't have to. You know, Stephen, this might be my thought versus yours, but you'll correct me as the expert. I think people, what I'm hearing on real estate and housing, because I think that's a great barometer, is anyone who locked in, you know, a year or two ago at three, 2.9% is kind of the golden handcuffs. You probably should not give up that fixed 30-year mortgage because I don't know if we're going to see that again in our lifetimes. Um, so they, you know, some inventory may stay in that homeowner. What They might have moved, but they don't want to pay more than double their interest rate. So I guess the question is, as the Fed starts to ease in maybe June, you said a quarter point each time, quarter, and eventually. It feels to me, Stephen, but you're the expert, that it may get down to that 5% as kind of the new norm uh, I don't think it's ever going to get as low in my lifetime anyway, because I remember when rates were 14% fixed and you bought a house uh, at 2.9%. That seems like uh, maybe a once in our current lifetimes, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we don't see rates going back to the zero lower bound when you're talking about, say, the monetary policy uh, rates or the Fed funds rates. So that means that mortgage rates probably won't go as low as, say, 29 but what could happen is that mortgage rates get to the point where it becomes a little bit more attractive in terms of your monthly payment to trade up your home. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are locked in, but they may actually need more space, right? right? So they're locked into this 2.9 or sub 4%. But when you get to maybe 5% um, or 6%, maybe you start to think about yeah. it a little bit more. So it might free up a little bit of supply in the existing home space, and that could kind of help spark uh, home sales again, which have been obviously on a downward slide. Steve, before we let you go, and thank you, Stephen Janot, Bank of America. We start, I started, ironically, I mentioned Liz Everett with your Bank of America Institute on data. And, and when I spoke with her last, she was telling us that the consumer remains resilient 
Um, you know, has anything changed here, Stephen? Are you seeing any changes or, you know, sort of uh, cracks in that resilient armor? I think that's broadly true. I mean, we, you know, there's a few cracks maybe when you look at various income groups. Obviously, you've seen credit card delinquencies move a little bit higher. Auto loan delinquencies move a little bit higher. That seems to be concentrated among lower income households, which, you know, obviously have more volatile spending patterns, a higher marginal propensity to consume, but they don't represent kind of a large share of overall spending. So but so I think the consumer broadly is in healthy shape. I mean, we still have a strong labor market. We're adding something like 200,000 jobs per month over the last six months. We are seeing real wages increase. Obviously, as we see real wages increase, that helps consumption. So, you know, there's very little signs that the consumer is really showing, you know, cracks in the foundation. Um, and really, we're we're constructive on the consumer. We think it's going to be kind of the outperformer this year when you look at growth. Um, and investment might be a little bit more moderate. Stephen, great stuff. And I know people can go and check out the Bank of America Institute on data, consumer stuff. Thank you, Stephen, for the time. Yeah, really very good. And you do it in a great way. We can kind of forecast a little bit of what's coming. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks. We're going to start with Renee and go to Lucas. And uh, this is going on today. So Renee Plummer with an update on... Get down there, Auburn Street, Easter Seals, New Hampshire, and donate blood. Take it away, Renee. Hey, how are you? So I am calling from Easter Seals at 555 Auburn Street in Manchester. Um, it is going on right now. People are uh, on uh, online, and they're coming in to donate blood. There are some slots available if people wanted to come down and walk in. It might be a little bit longer, but they um, are saying if you want to come in, please do. Uh, and this is what we're doing, is we're helping to save lives. But you know what, Jack? I heard the trooper uh, from, what is it, from Trooper Troop D? Yes. This morning say to you, what he does is they are saving lives, saving or making safe people's lives who they don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you do when you give blood. When he said that, I thought, you know, this is right. Yeah. So you're giving blood to people that you know to, to save lives of people you don't even know. Right. It could, could be it could be yep. babies. It could be your grandparents or or friends. Or but, you know, um, it could this, be a kid. I mean, you know, helping a stranger is the most powerful way to help because you oh, downstream, absolutely. you never know that your blood may have gone to something that you'll never know about it. Right. But it's not yeah. going to go to waste. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. So, um, you know, and if you can't do it here, you can certainly find other places to go ahead and give blood. But right now, if you're in the Manchester area, um, come to Easter Seals, you know, at 555 Auburn Street in Manchester, and they are taking some walk-ins. They do have a heavy uh, schedule, but, you know, like I thought I was going to be able to come in, but I'm on a certain medication that I can't do it. Mm -hmm. So, well, thank I'm you here. for thank you for shining the light. Thank you for shining the light. All right, sweetie. All right, Easter Seals, downtown Manchester. Speaking of Southern Hampshire University, not far. The arena. Lucas Meyer, straight to the dome. One of our leading uh, political analysts and all stars on the Democrat side. Good morning, Mr. Lucas. Good morning, Jack. That was a good reminder. I, I always think I always go to give blood. I'm always too close to having just gotten a tattoo that I, I always get there and they turn me away. There you go. What do you get a tattoo of, your old football number? I, actually, my last one was a barbell, so you're not too far off. We, you know, it's interesting. Um, there's, some, there's some interesting bills at the state house. We had Anna Brown, Citizens Count, um, you know, other folks on time about this that we, don't, we haven't really talked about. But, you know, we're in that lull period, right, where we had the primary. The state races are shaping up, the governor's race. But there's a lot of interesting for February, February 1st. There's some state bills that are rather interesting ranging from minimum wage to you know um gender and sports there's a lot of stuff happening under the dome well it feels it feels like we're in an election year and we're in the second year of a legislative session outside of a budget i totally agree uh definitely some interesting stuff happening this session i think with the narrow control uh the narrow split in the house uh will mean I'm not sure what will actually get done this session, um, but I think there are some interesting bipartisan bills making their way through. Um, one thing I'm really excited about in election law, um, and I think this is of interest to a lot of folks, um, a bipartisan bill 
uh, between the Republican co-sponsor of the committee and Angela Brennan, a, a young leader, young Democratic leader on the committee, um, that would have New Hampshire join the Electronic Registration Information Center, also called ERIC. And bear with me, this is very interesting, cool stuff. Um, it is a interstate um, system where every state that participates, every New England state participates, there are about 25 states that participate in this program, and they share through encrypted um, information sharing, uh, voter registration, change of address information, um, you know, death records, so that these states after each election through this program share that data, um, and they are after each election able to see, you know, who moved between Massachusetts and New Hampshire. If New Hampshire was a member of this, this is what we could do, and we could see who moved from Bill Ricca to Nashua? Let's, let's make sure our voter rolls are up to date. And if you catch someone voting in both of these member states, then you, you give some good information to the attorney general's office. We have cleaner voter lists, more accurate voter lists. This sort of, in my opinion, would help put the nail in the coffin of the voter fraud conspiracy theories because we could actually have some data behind it and improve confidence in our elections. So I'm hopeful, you know, the Secretary of State has not been too enthusiastic about this program in the past, which is, I don't understand why when you look at the benefits and, you know, you have the, the Georgia Secretary of State, Republican Brad Raffensperger, a big supporter of this, and also, you know, a bunch of Democratic Secretary of States around New England who also think this is a great idea. So I'm hopeful to see some compromise there. Uh, but certainly today, it's like, a, you know, a tale of two cities. You know, today on the House floor, there are bills dealing with seceding from the union, 15-day abortion bans, you know, attempts to limit transgender rights in the state, which is not what, you know, I think that's a very online approach to legislating. Um, that's not what people care about day-to-day um, -day in their lives. They want to see their rights protected, but they also want to see a state government that's focusing on, you know, lowering costs for folks. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see how the parties position themselves with this legislation, but really, this is sort of if you're if you're really tuned into politics and campaigns, you watch this legislative session. It's almost, you know, and I, I hate framing it this way, but it's almost it's almost the preseason of the election season. You start to see messaging start to be yeah. massaged and well, worked on. So these are these are the times to watch the tea leaves. Yeah, I think a lot of these broader issues will trans translate right into the federal races and certainly the governor's race, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, that the governor's race is going to. You know, right now it's kind of quiet in that realm, right? You, Governor Sununu is still, I'm not sure where he's landed out with his priorities, focusing on the state or the national stage. And we haven't reached crossover yet, which is where the bills switch each chamber. So you haven't seen exactly where the battle lines are going to be drawn. Um, one place I would, uh, you know, I think there will be a lot of discussion, um, a bill introduced by um, Republicans in the House, a, a, bit, a corporate tax cut that will cost $2 billion over the next seven years. Um, I think given uh, Kelly Ayotte's corporate track record, um, this seems to be a bill that Republicans are going to put out in, out in front, front and center. And I imagine Democrats will take that opportunity to talk about some of the economic challenges folks are facing. And maybe it's not a great idea to be given a handout to a bunch of multinational corporations in this climate. So, uh, But ultimately, I think that will bleed into a lot of the governor's race. And people will be seeing yep. a lot of that in their inboxes and online over the next six months. All right, buddy. Thank you. Lucas Meyer, straight to the dome. If people want to contact you. Lucas S. Meyer on Twitter or CatalystAdvocacy.com. Appreciate the time, Jack. Thanks, bud. Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio National Correspondent. Tom, I never thought we'd be talking about Taylor Swift conspiracy theories going into the big game. Take it away, Rory. Yeah, it's just crazy how this has just taken over social media, even having a former Republican presidential candidate sort of dip his toe into the water, maybe stir the pot a little bit. But these conspiracy theories involving Taylor Swift and her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, from the Kansas City Chiefs have grown to include Pfizer, which is a sponsor for Kelsey, even George Soros, who bought some of the albums belonging to Taylor Swift and her early career. But this has really become a major talking point uh, on TV networks and, of course, filling up social media. But hopefully this all ends in about 10 days' time when the big game is finally played. Well, I, did see, I did see a news story the other day that Biden was looking for her endorsement. And so, you know, <clears throat> everything gets political, but this is crazy stuff. You know, let's just play football. And, uh, you know, it is. I guess that's what happens when the number one pop star on earth, everyone's got their political beliefs, you know, uh, is hanging out and dating you know, the, the, the top, you know, wide receiver, tight end, not wide receiver, tight end of 
the Super Bowl-bound Kansas City Chiefs. So NFL's loving this. But, you know, Rory, I have a good memory. Back when a guy named Tom Brady yeah, Bill Belichick, Tom will remember this, were coaching and leading the Patriots. And in 2016, we had that buildup with Donald Trump in New Hampshire in the primary and Hillary Clinton. And Belichick came out and Brady, and they wrote a letter, and Trump had a big rally at Southern Hampshire University before the primary here, and Belichick expressed his support, and Brady said he played golf and liked Trump. Oh, my goodness. Just right. all kinds of criticism and all kinds of reaction back then, so doesn't doesn't shock me. But when a woman does it, is yeah. that a different reaction? I don't know. Well, it's Taylor Swift. I mean, look how right. her imprint on just about everything. But it is kind of, you know, it's just a, it's the cuckoo stuff. Anyway, thank you, Rory. Thanks, Jack. So, Tom Raffio, we're going to start this. we got a couple segments. First of all, welcome and thank you for coming in. Well, thank you, and I love to be in here. The beautiful studio. I get to see Jay in person. I see him weekly, but usually virtually. So virtually, that's right. This this is great. And as far well, you're as... No, you're no stranger here. No, no. I used to uh, spend a lot of time here. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the two previous uh, subjects, you know, being a level five leader is apologizing when you um, make a mistake. And so, it, you know, and, and the American public is really forgiving, too. Yeah. So I think people should take a page out of that book. So but isn't that, it great? It was, he was humble and sincere. You go, look, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I let you down. How so, hard is that? So that was I good. made a mistake. And then as far as the uh, the media in terms of oh, don't worry about Taylor, that. and so, I mean, it's just, it's, it is what it is. But I mean, obviously, the integrity of the game is, you know, top, top flight. Well, when you were last on, and we were teeing this up, you were getting a little bit of a raspy, you know, laryngitis. Now you're better. I'm still getting over this. So I want you to kind of tee this up a little bit. You brought in a one sheet, oral health care for veterans, a bunch of different options, really simply laid out. And it could, this sounds complicated, but I want to simple this down for our veterans and families out there. You've made it really easy for them to get some oral health care coverage. And the thing I'm going to stress and let you run with this, Tom is, look at oral health above the neck is health. You know, I talked with an expert the other day on mental health. Um, if people aren't feeling well phys- uh, emotionally, yesterday we had uh, Maria Pru on from Blue Cross Blue Shield Anthem. You know, it can affect your physical being, you know, your body, your back, your structure, everything. Um, so oral health is important for everyone, but our veterans have been underserved, putting it mildly, for, for years or decades here because... The VA, the, the VA doesn't cover their oral health surgeries, and that could be some pretty serious stuff. And it's all due to a congressional glitch, but I want you to kind of tee this up and, and walk us through this, Tom. Sure. So first of all, I want to thank a lot of my teammates back at Delta Dental, and also I'm, I'm involved in a steering committee, the Department of Military Affairs and Veteran Services, led by Brenton Frazier. So we meet regularly and go over all of the available options that there are for dental care for veterans. So let's start with, I'm going to keep this really basic, and Jay promises he'll get this on social media, but if you are eligible for Medicaid, and there are a few thousand of you that are, you have an adult dental benefit now that went into play 4-1-2023. So that number is 877-248-6684. If you're a veteran eligible for Medicaid, you can get your dental that way. And then as you mentioned, and we and we have Kevin Forrest on this on the steering committee, for the most part, only like one out of nine veterans can get their their dental at the VA. And that's not because of the great people at the VA, but that's because of the congressional guidelines, the, the uh, guidelines at the VA. You either, and I'm simplifying, it can be a little bit more subtle than this, but basically, unless you're fully disabled or a POW, um, you can't get served your dental at the VA. But if you work um, a POW or if you are fully disabled, <clears throat> you can go to the VA, and that number is 800-698-2411. And then for veterans who have a um, some a little bit of money, we actually have a pretty cost-effective, uh, pr- two cost-effective programs, traditional dental insurance. Locally here, deltadentalcoversme.com takes you about 15 seconds to uh, select a plan that's relatively inexpensive. And then we have a national program, and I don't want to get uh, jargon here, but it's called VADIP, which stands for VA Dental Insurance Program, and it's administered by uh, Delta Dental of uh, California, and it's va.gov slash healthcare. So that's the first three options. 
And then we support a group called Dental Lifeline or Donated Dental Services, <clears throat> and the coordinator actually sits um, at 2 Delta. And so veterans who have various forms of challenges um, can call that number, 603-826-6408, and veterans with uh, disabilities sometimes can get service through Dental Lifeline. And then the New Hampshire Dental Society set up a program with their dentists, there's about 800 dentists in the Dental Society, and they called the Take Five Veterans Program, <clears throat> excuse me, and we're trying to encourage dentists to take, you know, five veterans. And if you're interested in that, that's 225-5961. And now the real big, huge one, Jack, which is thanks to you back in, uh, Jay, you'll like this story, back in 2015, I'm listening to Jack on the radio, and he's describing the limitations on the VA, which I described earlier. And he calls me during, during commercial break and wants me to do something about it. So I said, J I said, Jack, I am about to go into a meeting, but let me get back to the office. Let me make sure this is all valid. And then, of course, it was. So starting in uh, 2015, uh, for veterans who are not either fully disabled or a POW, we set up a program of, with doc, led by Dr. Mitch Carre, who we've referenced many times, and a bunch of other dentists who've served our country. And we've invested um, about a million dollars in this. Now, we pay these dentists to see the veterans, right. but on a, on a significantly discounted basis so that we can conserve the funds. But we've seen well over 400 veterans, close, wow. close to a, a million dollars. And my board of directors is so generous. Uh, uh, they had been allocating two hundred thousand dollars a year, but for twenty twenty four it's three hundred thousand and then we're doing wow. something similar in maine we've budgeted uh, the last couple of years two hundred thousand and now three hundred thousand then we established the same program in Vermont so the whole point is northeast Delta Dentals, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont so when we have something a best practice in New Hampshire um in Maine, Jack, like New Hampshire has a disproportionate number of people who have served our country compared to the national norm, so it made sense for us to establish a similar program um in, in maine so that's the that's the major bucket for today but but veterans i mean if you are fully disabled, you can get your benefits at the v a if you're eligible for Medicaid. Um, you can go and get the, the, the your dental in that way. This bucket is uh reserved for people that don't fall into um, th those other categories. But you call me directly at 223-1300. You'll get me either live or voicemail, and please leave your vo please leave your phone number. At the beginning. At the beginning and end. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not being trite on this because, look, if you're a veteran and you've been sort of, you know, suffering in bad health and no one's, you know, you feel like no one's out there to help you and you call Tom, and, you you know, Bill Smith of Alton, I'm just throwing that out there. If there's a Bill Smith, I'm not talking about you. I'm just being hypothetical. And say, hey, Tom, thank you. I heard this on the radio. Uh, my situation is this. But before I tell you, my number is, if you put it at the beginning of the message, the greater likelihood Tom can retrieve it or his folks versus like a two or three minute story. Because when you're talking about your health, it's, it, it takes details. But if you, don't ever, if you don't ever give your contact information up front and at the end, it's tougher for Tom to... To help you, but I do eventually because there's been several times. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Where I get no number and I have my IT people spending. Yeah, but that's uh, extra work for you. Exactly, yeah. but but essentially, but I know I love listening to the stories. I've I, I've heard them all. It, it's great. They tend to be older gentlemen, but there's 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 women veterans as well. So I've had a lot of great conversations. And again, and healthcare is not cheap. So sometimes we're talking like uh, if you need surgery. Or an abscess, and you know, it is your. It's connected to your jawbone, connected to your head. I mean, it it is important health. It's not cheap. Exactly, it's, it's and that whole medical dental relationship is is key. You you've all heard, you know, people that have had to have their heart surgery postponed because they had you know infected gums and things like that. So you have to take care of your teeth. The good news is people are starting to understand that, and and I think uh, you know implementing the Medicaid program I had a lot to do with that, that finally the body politic and our leading politicians understood that you're actually saving on emergency room costs, you're saving on medical right. issues if people on well, Medicaid and, and people go to the dentist. people children, there's a connection to your Absolutely. oral health. Hey, Tom, you know what's amazing? To, again, kudos to you and your team and Dr. Mitch and the network because 
one of the options here is that, okay, if you don't fall into the, any of these other buckets and you need help, we're going to help you. And you didn't wait for a piece of legislation, which should happen, or politics, or a lot of red tape. They can simply call and get an appointment. How often does that not happen? I mean, that's that's just amazing. That's new. It's the New Hampshire way, and kudos to you as a leader, uh, a Tier 1 leader, and your team for making it so easy and actually stepping up when you find out there's a problem to close this gap. Well, that's the great thing about New Hampshire. That's why I love it. You know, that's why we all live here, right? You know, you point this challenge to me out in 2015. You call me on your commercial break. <laughs> I do I do research in the next couple hours when I'm back at the ranch, and then we have this uh, wonderful program. So, again, it's, it's 223-1300. You'll get me live or yeah. voicemail, and then... Usually, Dr. Mitch Curry will call you back in the same day, and I know it's it can. There's, you know, some of you have transportation issues and things like that. We'll try to work all that in. You know, Tom, um, you you've authored uh, stories from the starting line. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But I've often joked an additional fun book bedside read. I'm not going to probably do it. I used to think it was going to be stories on a chairlift because how many times did I ride the lift and talk with someone that you'll never see again? But the other one now is during the break. So when you talk about when I call. I also, Renee Palmer was just on, good friend of yours and ours, talking about the blood drive in Manchester at uh, Easter Seals. I did a similar thing years ago with this idea to do a 12-hour radiothon for Veterans Count. I called her during the break. I said, where are you? And she goes, I'm driving on 101. I go, I'm in a break. I got three minutes. So here's an idea I have. Why don't we do a 12-hour radiothon, no commercials for veterans? I thought she hung up on me. She was crying. She couldn't believe it. So... During the break might be the book that you and I could we, we I, could work on. Uh, let's do it because, because that, you know what? Sometimes those three or four minute bursts, and you get a hold of someone like you know can make a big difference long term. Absolutely, and of course the veterans count that twelve hours counting. I mean that's one of the most compelling days of the year. So well, thank you anyway, for doing. No, no, you're being. Hey, listen, we're going to hold you for a moment. Can you stick around for one minute? Sure. Take a quick break. I'd like to come back and just recap the boxes, the phone numbers, and give the information one more time for veterans and caregivers out there. If you're just tuning in. We'll boil it down again. Tom Raffio, Oral Health Care for Veterans. Seven options, including their network of just calling Tom. Back on Good Morning Hampshire, the Pulse of an H. Helping veterans. Thank you, Tom. Back in a moment. Really recapping um, oral health care for veterans. And it's just to set it up again, Tom's going to go through. We have time, and I want to take this time because it's important. And you know, Tom, we always rush. You and I are talking about during the break. We always rush our segments and live, and you do it on your show, and Let's take our time because you, we might help 10 or 20 people here. Exactly. You know? So let's not rush this because I, I've heard this from veterans, Tom. So I'm just let me, how about this? I'll make a deal with you. Give me 90 seconds and then you take the 12 uh, minutes. Uh, I hear this from veterans sometimes on the VA stuff. or Jack, I went to the website. It took me too long to find this or that. Or I called and they put me on hold. And a lot of times people just give up, right? I mean, even if you call your pharmacy for a refill and a prescription, a lot of times it's like you hear the music, they give you the pharmacy hours, and you just want to call in a prescription if you're on the road and pick it up tomorrow. It's like, oh, it's going to take me five minutes. So if you call your bank to check on your credit card or you're on hold for 10 minutes or easy pass, I won't even get into that. Uh, good luck. You'll be on hold forever. Um, but healthcare, same kind of thing. So what you've done, and we discovered that the VA for 90-something percent or more uh, your oral health care is not covered. And we're not, no disrespect to cosmetic and whitening. We're talking health care for your gums, your teeth, your head, oral health care, which can be in the thousands of dollars. So you might put it off. You might not get it done. So what Tom's done here is you're going to go through the buckets again and then then hammer it home and tell you how to, and some numbers here. So write this down if you at home or, you know, whatever, and call us back if you want to ask me. I'll get the sheet here. I'll give it to you offline, 603 228 2080 our six-hour listener line. But Tom's and his team have come up with seven different ways you can get your oral health care covered. And one way, if you really don't fall in any of the buckets, they're going to take care of it. So, Tom, take it away, and thanks again. Well, thank you, and thanks for calling this challenge to my attention back uh, several years ago. And as I said, we've invested a million dollars in this. So veterans... I'm going to keep this really simple, and it will be on social media. If you're eligible for Medicaid, call the New Hampshire Smiles Program, and there are 90,000 adults out there who are eligible. You can get your dental that way, 1-877-248-6684. That's 
248-648-6684. If you're fully disabled or were a POW, you'll be one of the 10% of the veterans that can get their oral care at the VA, and that number is 800-698-2411. And Kevin and his team were at the recent uh, Department of Military Affairs and Veteran Services meetings. We meet regularly to kind of go over these buckets, and Veterans Count was there as well. <clears throat> if, you have, if you can afford it, we have a very inexpensive traditional dental insurance called deltadentalcoversme.com. You go on that website, DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. You click New Hampshire, and uh, my friends tell me that within 45 seconds, you can select a cost-effective dental plan. If you're, if you're disabled, we have a program called Dental Lifeline or Donated Dental Services, and, and we coordinate that. We fund that program. That number is 603-826-6408. Uh, the New Hampshire Dental Society has a Takes Five Veterans program. There's a few dentists that just will take randomly five veterans. That number is 225-5961. And then here's the big one, the one that we've invested, you know, over a million, and there will be another 300000 this year. If you don't fall into those other five buckets, you can call me directly at 223 223- one three zero zero, and Dr. Mitch Caray and I um, will we return every call. We'll talk to you, and if you're and if you don't fall into the any of the other buckets, and you are a veteran, we'll take care of you. And finally, there's a seventh bucket. Um, if you go on anydelta.com, we have a a link that describes all the various free dental clinics out there. So if all else fails, there are some dental clinics out there, like the Boisson Dental Clinic you know, at, at CMC. So we know it's important that people take care of their oral health and the, the relationships with medical self-esteem. Jack, I can, I can give you so many notes from veterans who say, now I can smile, I can eat an apple, I can, I can go to a family reunion, which they weren't before. So um, I'm just honored that I can help. Um, and it's kind of like uh, last weekend, the mobile dental clinic that we had at Delta Dental. You know, I met some great people that, that happen to be uh, Medicaid, uh, people that are just so appreciative that someone is willing to, you know, take care of their teeth. And, you know, before I let you go, I remember a couple of years ago when we started this, or you started it, and Dr. Mitch, some of the veterans would either reach out, call me offline, a couple called the show, almost in tears of appreciation and gratitude. Because I heard from some veterans saying, I think it was his daughter's birthday or something, and he, he could actually smile without being embarrassed. Exactly. Or, or someone else had a really serious health scare, you know, like a like an abscess or something that was pretty serious, and, and they went in, it was taken care of, and they couldn't believe it. And one day they called, the next day they're getting it fixed, and boom, they're home. And they said, one veteran said, typically, Jack, when I go for health care, it takes me a couple days to get to the location, get a ride, get home. It's like a whole day or de- uh, affair. He goes, you know, I called Tom, and he had me in. I heard from Dr. Mitch Correa the next day or that day. Yeah, Mitch is amazing. He is. Uh, he's worked for me for 27 years. His practice is in Goffstown. But stay, are there, are there, the of, the, of the more than 400, any, oh. any anecdotes come to mind without mentioning names? Well, the, 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 the ones I remember are the ones I've referenced, you know, being able to now finally go to a family function that, that I had stopped going to. I hear that repeatedly, that... Uh, I you know I can go on the the family cruise now I can go to a you know the family Thanksgiving, so uh, it's just it, it's heartwarming and the other thing I would say is um, veterans you should feel comfortable calling me two two three thirteen hundred um, if you're not eligible you know we'll we'll fit you into one of these other buckets and you should feel the point comfortable. is that you're going to get some help you got and it there'll be someone on the other end before I let you go Tom not your area obviously a big task. How can we get this congressional glitch fixed by Congress? Because certainly the VA has the money to do this. Well, I will say this because I've written many op-eds and <laughs> editorials about this. Our I think congress- it would be an easy fix. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it, our congressional delegation is aware of it. I think I think there's uh, one of the challenges is that the uh, the VA isn't staffed. In other words, if all of a sudden instead of they don't have the dentist on staff? Correct. But couldn't uh, they do a public-private partnership where the veteran could go to any dentist practice and cover it? 
they they could do that if they're it, willing. I wish they would be, but that's a problem I have with bureaucracy right. sometimes. But the but the current challenge is like if right now they can if they're servicing one out of nine veterans. If all of a sudden but, that became nine out of nine. But here, here's yeah. the rub, and believe me, Tom, I'm not going to get you on the hot seat at all because number one, you you can't. You're like the uh, skier trying to pin down or the runner. But this is when we talked about the uh, choice program, which. The way the this isn't a VA knock, Tom, but stay with me because we have time, please. Sure. Part of why I love state stuff and state government and New Hampshire stuff, as you pointed out, is you can be innovative. You're the type of business leader. If you wanted to reach out to the governor or Senate president or House Speaker or Minority Leader, you'd probably get a call back. And if you had an idea, someone like Jeb Bradley's going to call you and say, "Tom, what, what's your idea?" And they're going to probably try and say, "How can we do this?" But you look at the federal government, and the VA gets a budget, and they are doing better in the last few years in New Hampshire. I think Kevin Forrest has been a great, great exe- you know, director. And they're improving services. They're looking at mental health and doing stuff. They're expanding some surgical stuff. They're really, in my opinion, doing the best they can. They really are, and I mean that. Um, but this dental thing, it should be an easy fix. Don't have to hire a bunch of dentists. It could take a couple years to get your staffs built up around the country. There are plenty of dentists in the state. It's just cover the veteran to go to any one of these dentists so that Northeast Delta Dental, they can supplement it, but maybe your board doesn't have to if it could be covered. You can just go to a private dentist if you're a veteran and show your card, and that dentist will be paid for paid by the VA because they have the money. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be a controlled turf issue. That's true. Um, it, does, it will create this congressional act, and I will say this. Our delegation is aware of it, and but you know what? I my approach is until it happens we're going we're going to be no, here for New Hampshire veterans for. and 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 as well as you know like in Maine uh, we've done the same thing in Maine yeah. we're not going to worry other, about the other hard thing before you go is getting young people into the business of dentistry like technicians hygienists d- dentists right get your, you know recruitment all healthcare I'm hearing is Abs- tough to get ooh, absolutely we uh, can you hear me yeah um, they. We have a program where we go to junior highs and high schools to get people to understand, young students to understand that getting into the dental profession, whether it's an assistant, hygienist, or a dentist, is a great profession. Yeah. And we're working with NHGI's community college. You referenced how you're a fan of community colleges on expanding um, their hygiene program so we can get some more graduates out there. Because that is one of the other challenges out there. Yeah. Dentists not... They're plenty busy, but they don't necessarily have enough uh, workforce with their hygienists. So if you're a veteran and you hit a snag with your oral health care, call Tom, 223-1300. Tom, you're one of the very best. Thank you. We'll catch you tomorrow with some good news. Yes, absolutely. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to me. 223-1300.